This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. TL Talk Radio Season 4, Episode 4. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of TL Talk Radio, a podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> so today, we're talking with PJ Capozzi, author of several books. Um, first, Making Evaluation Meaningful, Transforming the Conversation to Transform Schools, Second, building a culture of support, strategies for school leaders. And third, teach smart, learner-centered strategies that ensure student success. Dr. Capozzi has had a wide range of educational experiences throughout his career. Teacher, assistant principal, principal, and superintendent. Currently, PJ is a superintendent in Meridian School District, Meridian 223 in Illinois. And he's earned multiple recognitions, including uh, the Illinois Principals Association, Horace Mann Partners in Education Award, and Illinois Principals Association Principal of the Year for Northwest Illinois. He's earned the Award of Merit for Those Who Excel program sponsored by the Illinois State Board of Education. He's served as an ASCD Emerging Leader, and he's one of 25 superintendents to watch nationally by NSPRA, and he was a recipient of the INSPRA Distinguished Service Award of Excellence in 2016. He earned his doctorate from the Western Illinois University and writes regularly for sites such as the Huffington Post, Ion Education, ASCD, and Edgetopia. He's a sought-after presenter, a consultant, and professional development provider, and lives in Illinois with his wife and four children. Welcome to the podcast, PJ. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, hearing, it's always awkward hearing the, the bio <laughs> read back, but uh, I, I appreciate all of the uh, comments. Thank you. Absolutely. Our so pleasure. we're looking looking forward to chatting about making evaluation meaningful. So to start off our conversation, what is the big question behind this work, and how do you approach this idea of evaluation uh, in a transformative way, as is in the title? I think the the big question for me is simply looking at the entire process, looking at evaluation as we do it in schools, and trying to determine um, whether it's it's doing anything outside causing stress, creating angst, and being kind of a a time drain and resource drain on our schools. And so as I continued to, when I looked at my own practice as a principal, I started to think about um, all the things that I wish we could do better. And then as I changed chairs and looked at it from the superintendent perspective, uh, tried to examine what we were doing as a district. Um, what I just simply found is that the issue of evaluation is so complex um, that what we've 
done is we've compartmentalized things and created processes um, and we're using frameworks and I really like I endorse both Marzano and Danielson frameworks or whatever hybrid you're using the frameworks are fine. Um, the issue is that we're not changing practice. And so the only way that we're going to truly transform schools is if the, the humans improve and the only way that uh, we can truly work toward improving the humans uh, is to change our behaviors and so that's what the impetus in writing this book was is um, can i change some of the paradigms and the beliefs of the people reading this book so that they can operate in a different fashion to more effectively lead change uh, for the teachers in their buildings uh, so that they can move their practice forward thereby better impacting kids so it's this idea that evaluation can be seen as something that's imposed upon us and we just sort of uh, like many of the other kind of uh, policy initiatives, we kind of uh, sleepwalk through them. And uh, you're looking at it from the perspective of how do we actually take this as an opportunity to improve the practice and, and leverage this system of evaluating our uh, educators and improving the system, which ultimately will improve uh, what we do for kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if we look at just if you look at the overwhelming data, uh, evaluation is perceived and there's this you know, the cloud over it as uh, this is how we determine someone's value to the organization. So we're going to go through this evaluation process and we're going to determine whether somebody makes the cut and gets to continue uh, serving the children in our district. Um, where we, when we look at the data, we've gotten almost in every state over 95% of teachers are rated proficient or better. So for the vast majority of our professionals, um, what we're saying is that process isn't about making the cut, that the process should really be about improving practice. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we do is we focus on that 5% and we, we create a process to um, more clearly delineate who's going to make that cut and who's not, when really that's not what we should be doing. We should be working toward uh, creating a process and a system that helps move that other 95% forward in their practice. And your process is really in talking about um, the process, but also making sure that you understand the importance of relationships and setting a productive culture for evaluation. And you've shared um, in your resource a changes acronym. Will you share that with a little, a little bit with our, our listeners? Absolutely. So changes, the C is coherent understanding, H is hooked on to, A is always evaluating, N is not two but four, G is give the work away, E is elevate everyone, and S is self-assess. And so um, the reason kind of created that, that acronym is that what, if we are operating under the supposition that evaluation happens um, it, kind of an isolation and doesn't impact culture, then we're just simply ignoring every sign around us in schools. And so evaluation is a stressful, time-consuming process, both for teachers and administrators. And it has this dramatic tie on the culture of the building. And so if we know that evaluation is going to hook on to and have a direct impact on culture, then what can we do to make that a positive impact? Uh, because when I walk into schools and do the consulting thing and try to work with districts on what they're doing um, on evaluation, very rarely do I walk into school and say, well, we need to, you know, firm up our processes, but, you know, evaluation has this great impact on the culture of our building. That's typically not the case. So if we know that, if we know that it's the strain, then how do we change it? So um, the coherent understanding, it, if everyone has a, a laser-like focus on what the expectations are, um, then things different, right? The, the cultural impact is different. So when people feel like there's an uneven playing field or there's favorites and not favorites, or they don't know what target they're shooting at, that diminishes culture. Um, if we have evaluation happening in isolation that's not connected to other improvement initiatives and it's just happening, it's just another thing, that diminishes. Um, if we believe that evaluation happens occasionally, that it's not something that uh, administrators always working toward and, and that 
issue that occurs out of that is that if I believe that it's happening uh, once in a while, then that's when you get the dog and pony show. That's when you get these things happening in isolation that aren't, it loses its entire meaning in terms of what's happening for kids. Um, and then the, the kind of the end of the acronym kind of talks about what as administrators we can do for teachers. And so um, the biggest lesson that I learned in going through uh, in a self-analysis of how I evaluated is that my intent was always to fix a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, so my language was very fixing. And so when I took a step back and really tried to become more self-aware and really thought about how I believed in the process, my job isn't to fix. My job is to, to support growth. And so once I changed that, my language wasn't to the teachers, it became for the teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, and that allowed me to give work away to believe that they could accomplish the work on their own, that I didn't have to fix them or do the work for them. Uh, and the other, the E is probably my favorite part of the, the whole acronym is that uh, when we work with kids, we always see them for what they can become. So um, if you're a principal listening to this, you, you can count, you probably can't count on the number of fingers that you have, how many times within a year you say, you know, Johnny, if you only knew how great you could be, or I see you for so much better than you are, you have no idea the potential that you have. We do that with kids all the time, but we have a tendency to see adults for exactly where they are. Um, and so if we can just tr change that paradigm and start to see adults for what they can become, not what they are, to see a 45-year-old, 20-year veteran for what they can be in five years, as opposed to them as a fixed product, it just changes the entire way we look at evaluation and opens up something that really becomes and allows for evaluation to be leveraged as a positive tool for creating culture as opposed to something that diminishes it. Yeah, I love that. I love that mindset of that E because um, it, it's really a shift in the way that we um, sometimes typically or approach this idea of evaluation. And in, in a good chunk of your book, you're focusing on um, helping the readers understand what are those uh, mindsets uh, preparation tasks and skills that our evaluators, our principals, uh, need to develop to become these outstanding instructional leaders and evaluators. Talk to us a little bit about what might some of those priority mindsets, preparation uh, tasks, or skills be that you would recommend to some of our listeners. So first and foremost, I think it just goes back, and I, servant leadership, I know it's been a buzzword in leadership vernacular for 30 years, but it, it's a, stuck around because it's it's correct you know, in my perspective. So if we are focused on through the evaluation process of serving the teacher, uh, then I think it, it just, the entire process shifts slightly in, in a much positive, much more positive way. Um, if we can eliminate the, the mindset that firing is a strategy, no teacher that is terminable within a building right now is discovered that way through the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. Everyone already knows that, the teachers already know that. So if we can just eliminate that, that, that cloak of what evaluation is truly about, I think it changes everything. Uh, another huge thing for me is, um, is there mutual ownership of progress? So one of the things I do when I work with a, a district is I'll, I'll obviously audit their evaluation. So I'll look at all their evaluations and I'll see a tenured teacher that's barely proficient. And I'll ask the principal who's been there for six years, what are you doing to you know help Mr. Smith grow? And they'll often say, well, you know, he, he's proficient. And I'll say, well, he's barely proficient. What has he done in the last three times you've evaluated him? And what typically comes out is that there's a mindset that my job is um, simply to provide the assessment of the, the value to the organization, then it stops. And so in a, in a positive culture and doing things in a way that really is transformative in terms of evaluation is where there's a mutual ownership of progress is that as a principal, I don't see myself as doing my job if my teachers aren't growing. If I'm truly an instructional leader, I'm pulling them forward. Uh, 
A couple other things that I think just uh, great evaluators all have confidence. Confidence comes from the belief that we can add value. And so if you don't know the tool or the instrument that is being used, it's very hard for you to have uh, the mindset that you can add value. And so the biggest problem I see when I work with other districts is that oftentimes people don't value themselves as a curriculum and instruction expert. If they don't value themselves as an expert, then they're like, who am I to really, you know, I was a PE teacher or I was this or I was that. Who am I to provide guidance to, you know, a 20-year veteran that's teaching AP chemistry? And then the the thing for me is that we always have to be unfinished and continue learning so that we can add value to everyone. And the last thing I'm just going to touch on is that uh, just in terms of mindset, if we simply examine our processes and we look at something like what we do in the pre-conference, if we truly think about what the pre-conference is intended to accomplish and what it could potentially accomplish compared to what we've compartmentalized it to, I think we're, that's like the biggest eye-opener um, when I work with people is that they see that, oh my goodness, we've created this process that fits into um, the box that allows us to examine and, and go through a process in a quick, short, convenient amount of time, as opposed to one that can really mm -hmm. um, be used to leverage true growth in our in our school. So as central office administrators, uh, Randy, myself, and the rest of our team actually do participate in some um, teacher observations, really. The principals evaluate, but we participate in some teacher observations. Um, so I'm starting to think about how do we better leverage that pre-conference time and then on the other side, you know, what are some strategies that we could utilize uh, for giving feedback during the post-conference after we've um, sat and observed the teacher's lesson and engaged with learners? I'll touch real quick on the pre-conference and then get to the second part sure. of your question. For the pre-conference, if you think about it the same way you look at a teacher interview, I think you're going to get much more out of it. So on the pre-conference, we often focus on um, what am I going to see, what are the objectives, all those what questions. If we can transform those what questions to why and how questions, the conversation gets much more much deeper. And so if we understand why a teacher is perhaps planning in a way that doesn't create the best outcomes or why they're using a strategy. Um, it allows us to really have meaningful conversations as opposed to dealing at the surface level. Uh, in terms of feedback at the post-conference, I love the acronym NERD, um, which is uh, I, I've stolen from a performance excellence framework when the N in NERD is the nugget, the E is the evidence, the R is the relevance, and the D is done. So if you communicate in that kind of formulaic um, setting, it allows you to, um, to really get to the heart of the issues. What we find a lot of times in post-conferences and in written documents is a whole bunch of flowery language with the actual point of critique or feedback that could really cause growth hidden within them. Mm -hmm. And so if we can actually get to what that actually is, what that nugget is, hey, um, when you ask questions, you stay at Bloom's level one, two, and three. The evidence is on five of the seven questions asked during the observation, da, 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 da. The, and then the relevance is that if we're not getting kids to think, asking questions, forcing kids to think um, and use critical thinking skills, uh, it will decrease engagement and lead to lower student outcomes, whatever. So if we communicate, even though that's somewhat formulaic, that's a really good step to help particularly novice evaluators um, flow through the process. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing to keep in mind is the post-conference oftentimes um, bec becomes like a sales call where the evaluator is trying to convince the teacher of the rating they assigned as opposed to actually talking about improvement. And so once we get into that sales mentality, then oftentimes any leverage we have to create meaningful change in the teacher's practice is lost. And so that's the biggest thing. Again, if we keep that meaning in the, the end goal is the growth of the teacher, um, not to necessarily come to a 
firm agreement that we believe that you were categorized A, B, or C. I, I think it changes our language and it, it, it forces us to make sure that as the principal or the evaluator that we don't allow our emotions to become heightened. And I think that it's just natural in some post conferences or some reflective conferences, sometimes it's emotional. Our job is to remember that once emotions get heightened, it's almost impossible to create meaningful change in terms of changing someone's mindset or paradigm. So this idea of you know, reimagining the culture of evaluation and making sure that as evaluators we're skilled and knowledgeable and we're in the right mindset, talk to us, make this real now for us. Talk to us about an example of through your experiences where um, a teacher has been transformed through an evaluation process um, that was designed around the, the structures that you're sharing here. So I think the easiest thing for me to say is that um, almost everything I share is based off of my mistakes. And so um, when, when I first arrived in as a 27-year-old high school principal, uh, we had about 20% turnover in a handful of years, largely as a result of evaluation. And um, while I guess technically I made the right decisions using the evaluation tool, um, what I did do is I destroyed the culture of my building and it took me years to rebuild it. And so um, as I write this, I write from that paradigm is that um, evaluation, whether used technically correct or incorrect, can be something that devastates a culture. And so the the biggest success story I had is kind of within all of that. Um, I worked with a particular teacher who um, would have been your prototypical coach, uh, the one that coached first and taught second and was able to within allow him to discover within him his own his own genius. And so that to me is the, the process of evaluation is that I can be as skilled as possible in curriculum instruction and pedagogy. Um, and I can provide feedback all I want to, which I think is an important part of the process. But really what evaluation is about is helping people see their own genius and finding their own answers. Um, and so that was the, the biggest transition for me is helping somebody go from somebody who um, saw teaching as just another thing they did to someone that truly got why that understood their genius and understood how they could leverage their genius to change the lives of kids. Um, and that person is actually um, kind of a success and a failure. Um, the success is that he continued to grow and grow and grow um, and actually moved into administration. Um, so that's the failures that we lost a great teacher out of the classroom because mm. he, he grew to a point where he, he could then leverage his skills to help others. So we talk a lot about agency, both in the classroom and throughout our organization, and how can the evaluation process become something that provides teachers with greater agency in their work? And you touched on this a little bit in your in your last response um, in helping teachers make that shift within themselves. Yeah, so when I look at agency, I, I look at it as the capacity of the teachers to act independently and to truly believe that they control their own growth uh, and that they feel free to make choices that will lead them to greatness. Uh, the whole premise of this book is to, to create and work from a structure that builds relationships, improves culture, and sets the stage for teacher growth and development. Uh, one of the things that I say all the time is that as administrators and evaluators, what we do is we create the conditions for change. We don't actually create the change itself. Um, and I, I believe that for teachers with kids too, right? So we create that, those appropriate conditions for learning. Uh, and then it's the, ultimately we can't force anyone into particular behaviors that are going to last, right? So I can demand particular behaviors, but that's not gonna create sustained change. So the only way that we're gonna create sustained school improvement that's gonna uh, allow for transformation and going to allow for continued transformation as we embark uh, trying to create schools that support 
growing productive citizens in this ever-changing world with digitization and automation and all of those things, the only way that we can do that is to create conditions for change and innovation. And so when I look at the evaluation model and creating agency, that's exactly what this is, is that we have to create something that builds relationships so that people see this as just a very systematic way for growth in the profession, not as a once in a while thing that happens that causes stress. And then at the end of it, I get some paper that assesses my overall value to the organization. Mm -hmm. We have to move beyond that structure. So I love that idea of looking at leadership as this idea of creating the conditions as opposed to imposing them. It's that top down versus something that's um, more organic and giving people the space um, to create their own learning and their own transformation around certain things. So how, as central office people, superintendents, curriculum directors, et cetera, what advice would you give us to help create those conditions so that our principals can become these skilled evaluators that are transforming the way um, that teaching and learning happens within the classroom. So the, the first thing I would wanna say is just care. And so I don't want that to come off flippant or um, arrogant, but I am, I'm no longer shocked, but when I first started doing this work with other districts, um, it was shocking to me how many times principals would complete an evaluation um, and it would get sent to central office and occasionally an HR person would look at it, but oftentimes it just get filed away and the data would be stored in whatever database it needed to be stored in. And so the first thing is just care. Just, just and I, I think it starts with reading the completed evaluations. And so as central office and district office people, if we're not doing that, then we're doing a disservice not only to our teachers, but to our principals, because how are we going to help them grow? And so if we're going to coach our principals through this process, um, something that you guys said earlier in this podcast is that you actually take part of observations. So my, one of my favorite parts is when I evaluate principals, I evaluate them evaluating. So I sit in from the pre-conference mm. to the observation to the, to the reflective conference, and I'm not part of the, the judgment part portion for the teachers. Uh, and I try to keep my mouth shut as much as possible, although sometimes it's impossible and I, I throw in a, a nugget for suggestion for improvement or, or something. But uh, for me, that allows me to learn uh, exactly what is taking place, how we're providing feedback, if we're coaching teachers or directing them. And then that allows me to then coach the principal. Without that knowledge, I don't know um, what I could do that would be substantive and meaningful. Uh, outside of that, the, a nugget that I've taken from reading the evaluations is that um, I find my principal's biases. Uh, and I don't mean that in terms of I like teacher X, and I don't like teacher Y, um, but I find our go-to comments. So if somebody feels really, uh, really comfortable with classroom management, we have a ton of classroom management feedback, um, but we might have nothing when it comes to engaging students. Or if somebody is upset, so my, my bias is questioning, I'm obsessed with questioning. And so if you were to review the evaluations that I've written, there'd be more feedback and questioning than something else. So a lot of times people have no idea what their blind spots are, nor what their tendencies are. So simply by reading it and providing feedback uh, to, so as a district office person, maybe provide it to the superintendent or whoever's directly responsible for that principal's growth to alert them to their blind spots, I think allows for a huge and, and meaningful conversation to take place that in most districts is not, unfortunately, is not taking place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I'm making connections to what you're saying, too, because we read, we're small school districts, so we read every observation that comes up here, too. And um, 
I think that we do have principles that you can tell what their strengths are in terms of what they focus on, uh, because that tends to be where their comments and their feedback uh, resides in those areas of strength. So that's uh, interesting. We have to think about that mm -hmm. a little bit more. The way that we've addressed that directly, because I think every district would have that, and I think that's human, is that we will say, okay, for, you know, month two, weeks two through three, we're going to focus collectively on every observation we do. We're going to look only at engagement and questioning, or we're going to look only at organizational physical space, whatever it happens to be, uh, to force people out of their comfort zone so they get comfortable writing feedback, ready comments um, in that perspective. So you've given us a lot to think about and uh, our listeners, regardless of role in terms of leadership, whether you're a teacher and really thinking about shifts you wanna make or leaders um, providing feedback and um, engaging in some informative conversation during that pre-conference. Um, so thanks for sharing that. And I guess our next question for you, our last question to wrap this up is what's next for you? What are you currently working on? Uh, so my primary work is within my district. And so I've, I'm very fortunate to be in the district that I'm in uh, as we've kind of, we've gone through our own cycle of transformation. Uh, our transformation, however, has been from uh, complete crises when I arrived to now we're pretty stable and we're um, a good to very good district. So um, now we're in the very difficult stage of going from good to very good to hopefully great. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my primary focus. Um, secondarily, I have a lot of writing that is, is coming out. So I should have um, three books coming out within the next 15 months or so. Wow. I have a collaboration with uh, Mike Lubbefeld and Nick Poliak, the hashtag soup to chat guys, if mm -hmm. uh, you're on Twitter, mm -hmm. on student voice, which should be out in the probably three months or so. Uh, and then I'm working with uh, Julie Adams and a couple other colleagues on creating something about uh, school culture and linking it to kind of Maslow's and Bloom's and trying to blend those two together. It's a really interesting collaboration I'm excited about. And then I have a solo project coming out through ASCD on time management, uh, kind of focusing on how I think everyone labels time management as this, uh, this disease. And really the disease <laughs> um, to me is like this underlying, there's always uh, an underlying issue causing it. So it might be whether um, you are constant, that time management itself is never the cause. So we, how we as leaders, whether it be as a principal or even as a teacher, when I'm working with kids, how I can diagnose what truly is causing the quote unquote time management issue to then better serve them. Uh, so th that's that's kind of the, the side projects for me as, as they currently stand. It's kind of the time, you know, I've had a conversation with my, my wife and, and my board here is that um, I kind of feel like I'm at the time of my career where I'm either going to make a big push at the writing and speaking thing or just kind of always leave it as a hobby. And so in terms of kind of my own psyche, I have to give it a, a full-fledged uh, push in the next handful of years to see mm -hmm. if, if something really comes of it or if it's just going to kind of maintain a, a side hobby for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. We'll put a number of links to PJ's books and uh, his website, and he's got a YouTube channel too. Uh, we'll put those in the show notes. So thanks again, PJ. I really, really appreciate you guys having me. I enjoyed talking about it with you guys. Hopefully it's uh, not to pun not intended, but meaningful uh, for the <laughs> listeners. Too. Absolutely. Thank you. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking conversation. This episode's questions, what mindsets or strategies will you employ to improve your skills as an evaluator? And how will you engage teachers in shifting the evaluation conversation? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just connect with the resources shared here, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season four, episode four. 
That's all for now. We'll be back soon featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, PJ. Thanks, PJ. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.